Our reading for today is Mark 8:22 through 26. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. The word of the Lord. Uh, Welcome to our time today. Um, Let's uh, pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this day that you have made. And we ask once again now in the hearing of your word, you would help us to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Last Sunday, I started to make three reflections on the healing of an unnamed blind man. And so just as Jesus healed a blind man in a two-step process, uh, I thought I'd try to be creative and preach on the text a second time. Uh, hopefully to bring greater clarity to the text. So the first reflection I started to make last week was that Jesus ended up in Bethsaida at this moment in the Gospel of Mark because of a detour caused by an unexpected storm. But that his roundabout arrival and his time spent in Gentile territories was not a waste of time nor an accident, but that it was a divine opportunity for Jesus to learn, to grow, to expand his understanding of his life and mission of God's love for the whole world. And so likewise, we can think about our own lives, about the storms and detours, as divine opportunities for growth and chances that God gives to us to broaden our own sense of calling and identity rather than as uh, time wasters. Up to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been misunderstood, but he's been very, very popular. The crowds love him because he's fed them, he's healed them of their diseases, he's cast out demons, he's calmed raging storms, he's drawn thousands to hear him preach, and he's even raised the dead back to life. But up to this point, Jesus has also been very careful to keep his identity under wraps. It's only after this healing that Jesus begins to speak clearly and plainly about who he is and about his mission. And it's from this point on now that he pivots decisively toward Jerusalem and the cross. And he does this from this point on, because what looks like maybe a, just another healing to us at the end of a, you know, unforeseen detour is actually a very important and specific mark of the Messiah. The restoration of sight was understood to be a unique sign of the coming Messiah and his deliverance. Isaiah 29, 18, for example, God says that in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, 
And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah prophesies that when God comes, he will come and save, and the eyes of the blind shall be opened. If you're part of a, an FG, you heard uh, this week or last, in Isaiah 42, in the first of the, seven, uh, first of the servant songs, that God makes this promise concerning his servant, whom we understand to be the Christ. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind. Elsewhere in places like Psalm 146, 8, it says the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The one who opens the eyes of the blind is not just another healer. It is God. And it is a servant Messiah of God. And so in restoring this man, his sight, in this particular healing, Jesus is now fully declaring his identity. We see this in the other Gospels as well. In the Gospel of Luke, for example, when John the baptizer is in prison, he's wondering if Jesus is really the Messiah. If he's the one, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus, instead of saying yes or no, he says, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The blind receive their sight. John knows the signs. In other words, Jesus is saying, yeah, I am the one because you have seen that the blind have their sight restored. Similarly, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus heals another blind man in chapter 9, and the man is questioned by the enemies and the opponents of Jesus, The man tells them, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, that is Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. There are lots of different miracles in the Bible. And maybe we don't think of um, the restoration of sight being the most difficult or the most unique one. But this particular miracle is reserved for Jesus. So this healing shows us that Jesus is not just another healer, not just another great healer. Of course, we want and we need physical healing. I know that I need it. I pray regularly for sick people. And I always start my prayers by asking God for a miracle. I ask God that if it's possible, to go beyond what is medically possible. I ask God for that. Before I start asking God for, you know, good doctors and, you know, for people to be able to make good healthcare decisions, I ask God for a miracle, to heal, to bring about a miraculous healing. I don't get those prayers answered very often. It's pretty rare. But even when it does happen, Even when it does happen, and even though I'm extremely thankful for that mercy, I'm even more thankful for something beyond the healing. I'm thankful that God revealed himself through that healing and that God is more than just a healer. We need healing in this life, absolutely. We need healing from our physical ailments, 
from our emotional, spiritual, mental, all of that. Absolutely. But we need more than just healing in this life because no matter how much you exercise, no no matter how many intermittent fastings you intermittently keep, no matter how many times you are healed, it is still all temporary. A day will come when we must all close our eyes for the last time, at least on this earth. And that's why we need more than a healer. We need Jesus, the Messiah, as revealed in this healing. He didn't come just to heal for this life. He came to save us from something far greater, from sins, from death, so that death will not have the last word. Instead, that we might have eternal life in the presence of God forever. I wonder if this is what the Apostle Paul was thinking about when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter about love, right before he concludes with, now faith, hope, love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. He penned these words. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Even our best healings and seeing today is still as though seeing dimly. Only in the presence of God in eternity will we truly see fully and clearly. And it's for that day that we ultimately hope. It's for that day that Jesus came. Not just for today's healing. The second reflection I started to make last week was that some people brought the blind man to Jesus and that these people, these some people, may not even had the blind man's best interest at heart. Perhaps to our 21st century ears, it may even sound like that some people forced the man to be healed against his own will. And maybe Jesus was complicit in that. Today, we are aware of those who are blind, those people who are visually impaired, who are leading very productive lives. Those of us who can see may believe that everyone would want their eyesight restored, right? That we, we may think that who wouldn't want to recover their sight if they were blind? And yet among the roughly 100,000 or so blind Americans who are totally blind, that is not necessarily what they all believe. What we consider to be a disability, some within that community consider as a culture and as an identity marker. Many blind people are proud of their blind identities and consider their lives enriched, not diminished by their lack of visual sight. So to regain sight for them in some ways would be a loss of their core identity. Be that as it may, in the ancient world, it is doubtful that such notions of personhood existed. Those who were blind were considered cursed by the gods or were thought to be being punished for some sins in their past. And they were forced to live these humiliating lives reduced to begging without any real hope. 
healing or the restoration of sight, which was unheard of, would have been a welcome miracle. So the fact that it was this man who was given this healing is a wonder. Surely there were others who wanted to be healed. Surely there were others who were more deserving than this man. This man made no effort to be healed and reminds us once again that grace comes before discipleship. That's why it's grace. It comes before. I hope this healing helps dispel any notion that healing is only the result of your faith or that not being healed is somehow an automatic sign that you lack sufficient faith. Many years ago, when I was a youth pastor, a faith healer came to lead a revival at the church that I was serving. And after the service, a lot of people lined up to get healed by this man. At the time, I was having a lot of back pain. And so people encouraged me to get healing. I had broken two vertebrae in my back, um, as as you know, and uh, I hadn't really treated it, so I was just kind of putting up with it. And so I stood in line with everyone else, and when it was my turn, I went up, and he had me sit in a chair, and he sat in a chair across from me, and he had me extend my legs toward him, and he held my two legs by the ankles like this. And he looked at my legs, and he looked at me, and he said, You see that your legs are not even. And I looked, and it was true. One leg was longer than the other leg. And so then he prayed. And I don't know what happened. But after he prayed, my legs were the same length. Now, I always hoped that the shorter leg grew longer and not the longer leg grew shorter. (laughs) But they were the same. And I don't... Honestly, I don't recall like shifting in my seat or anything like that. And everyone was like, wow, look at that. Like, you know, people were there, you know, standing about seeing that. But here's the thing. My back didn't feel any better. (laughs) I ended up getting surgery later. And now my back feels fine. But I remember that week, a bunch of people got healed. They said they felt better. They got healed. And the youth pastor didn't get healed. There were whispers. Everyone had enough faith to get healed today. (laughs) Except for that youth pastor. (laughs) Last year, my wife had a very similar situation. Someone wanted to pray for her because of her concussion and all the dizziness that she was experiencing. After she was prayed for, she was asked, do you feel better? My wife said, no, but I appreciate you praying for me. She said, let me pray for you again. She did. And after that second prayer, my wife's dizziness was completely gone. No, that's not what happened. (laughs) She felt the same again. She said, thank you, you know, I appreciate you praying for me. But she didn't feel any better. The other woman seemed to walk away confused or disappointed that somehow she wasn't healed. As if the unspoken question was, why aren't you healed? It works for everybody else. Maybe you don't have enough faith. It's not really about our faith. Yes, sometimes God heals in response to our faith and our reaching out to him. Yes, we should be seeking God in faith for healing. 
But it is not something that we can make God do for us. God is not forced or manipulated or tricked into healing because of the sufficiency of our faith. God heals in God's time for God's glory. Sometimes in response to our faith. Sometimes despite the lack of it. But I think it's even more than that. This healing is really remarkable because Jesus not only heals without faith, there is no precondition for faith for this healing, but there is no faith even as a result of this healing. Not only did the man not express any sign of faith prior to the healing, he shows no signs of faith after he's been healed. I think if any of us were in this situation, you know, if, if we were blind and we had our eyesight restored, I mean, we would be screaming, hallelujah. It's like, oh my gosh, I can see. We'd be telling everybody, look what's happened to me. We'd be praising God. We'd be declaring the glories of God. Wouldn't we? That's what happens in most of the other stories of healings. There is some sort of praise or amazement, if not by the one healed, then by the crowds or by the disciples. There is some reaction to the miraculous power of God being displayed in their midst. But here, there's nothing. Jesus, in fact, seems to go out of his way to make sure that there is no response. Jesus heals, and then he sends them home. Don't even go into the village. Don't even go near those people. Just just go home. We presume he did, and said nothing. It can appear like a wasted miracle. That Jesus heals a man without faith and without producing faith as a result. But maybe that's the point. Jesus simply healed a man who needed healing. No preconditions, no demands for a particular outcome. He loved him because he was hurting. No hidden agendas. You know, that is really hard to do. To love someone that sincerely without any hidden agendas. I think sometimes when we try to help, we make people into our pet projects that we can fix so that we can feel good about ourselves. Sometimes churches make the mistake of doing missions that way. We have power. Let us show you how to do this right. Nobody wants to be your pet project. No one wants to be the recipient of you showing off your power, your money, your goodness, your faith. No one wants that. People want to know that you are engaged with them, that you are empathizing with them, with their situation, simply because you love them. And that is really hard to do. For Jesus, this was not a moment to capture, to use for some political agenda or for some financial advantage. It wasn't a carefully orchestrated PR move or a photo op. Jesus didn't do it to take a selfie and post it about his powers to be an influencer to get a few more likes. He healed because the man was hurting. And in doing that, Jesus reveals more fully to us his character and his identity. You know, a few months ago, Pastor Danny, Jason, and I, we attended the uh, TopCon conference TopCon is the Theology of Play conference 
where we heard lectures about the theology of play, and there actually is a theology of play, and then we gathered to play board games. Yes, it was as cool and as fun as it sounds. (laughs) One of the things that I was reminded of at the conference is that games are supposed to be fun. If you make people play a game to teach them a lesson, say a game like Presbyopoly, yes, that is a real game, and yes, I have a copy of it. If you make them play a game like that to teach them about Presbyterian polity and the Book of Order, your kids will never want to play a game with you again, and they will never believe you when you tell them something is fun. Games are supposed to be games for fun, for play. If in the process of playing, conversations come up about the Book of Order, great. But we shouldn't be thinking only or primarily in terms of how can I use this as a means to make my point, even if that point is a good one. The far better witness is to enjoy the game and the people you are playing with for its own sake. The joy of being together, of playing, that should be enough. In the ministries of our church, in the missional work that we do, we don't always get to see what happens afterwards. When we sent off those uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes, we hope that the children who receive them will enjoy them, but we don't know. When you knitted those incredibly beautiful hats and scars, when you sent those boots to those kids at that elementary school, we hope the kids appreciated them and were kept warm, but we don't know. When you're involved with the children's ministry or the youth group, or when you're leading an FG, or you're helping with the setup and the cleanup, when you're making sure that the sound is coming out well, it may be that no one's really appreciating it. I hope that is okay with you. I know it feels good to be appreciated. It's great to know that people appreciate what you are doing for them and for God. But I hope that receiving that praise or that appreciation is not your only not your primary motivation for ministry and mission. I hope the love of Christ is what's driving you. I hope that the love of Christ is what is driving you. And all that you do in the name of Christ, through the love of Christ, it is never wasted. People are not a means to an end. Jesus is showing us here, he's willing to stick around, to touch the man a second and third time to bring about a complete healing. And he does it without getting anything back in return. Jesus is determined to do his ministry, the vocation, the calling that he has received from God, to declare, to declare the year of the Lord, to bring about healing without applause without regard for his own fame. He's so focused on the healing of this man. He protects him from any negative publicity and simply sends him home, I think, in tenderness and reveals to us once again that Jesus' compassion was simply out of compassion for this man. 
The third reflection I started to make last Sunday was this man was touched three times. His eyes were touched twice, but that the first touch, that of being held by the hand, that that human connection extended to him was what made it possible for him to really trust Jesus and to be honest about his condition when Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And again, the man was healed, and then he was sent home without responding at all to Jesus. Jesus is okay with that, right? But I think Mark is trying to tell us something more. I shared this at the leaders' meeting yesterday, that Mark places his healing between two other related healings to help us see better. In chapter 6, Jesus heals a deaf man using spit, linking that story to this one. And then in chapter 10, Jesus will heal a blind man, the same condition, linking it back to this story. In the first healing of the deaf man in chapter 6, Jesus is on his detour in the Decapolis, and the healing story is told almost the same way that our story is told. Some people bring the man to Jesus. They ask Jesus to touch the man. Jesus takes the man aside privately. He uses spit. He touches the part of the body that needs healing. The man is healed. Same template. But the ending differs. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone about this. But of course, the more he says that, the more they tell others. So from that healing, Jesus knows that people are not going to be quiet about his healings. So he takes the extreme measure in this healing to make sure that this is kept a secret to guard his identity from being misunderstood even further. He not only leads the blind man away from some people, but he tells him to go home and not to speak with anyone else really. This is, you know, this is really on the down low. It's about as down lowest as you can get, right? He doesn't want any publicity on this. And then in chapter 10, after we have spent two additional chapters now where Jesus reveals to his disciples fully about the Messiah that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. After he explains the cost of discipleship over and over again, Jesus encounters another blind man. The second blind man is named Bartimaeus, and he knows about Jesus. He doesn't need some people to take him to him. He hears that Jesus is nearby, and he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When people tell him to be quiet, he shouts all the more. And so Jesus hears him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man says, let me recover my sight. He wants to be healed. He takes the initiative to get healed. He comes in faith, and Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And Mark tells us, immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Two blind men, but very different. Bartimaeus came to Jesus in faith. He recognized who Jesus is, and he believed that Jesus could heal him. Then after he's healed, he follows him. Our story is setting us up. The healing in chapter 8 is setting us up for the healing that's going to take place in chapter 10. This is what you're supposed to do when you're healed. When you're healed, you're supposed to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you can see who Jesus is, 
then you follow him to Jerusalem and to the cross. Samdok Chun is believed to be the first woman to be baptized in Korea back in 1895 by the missionary W.B. Scranton. After her baptism, she traveled throughout Korea telling people, especially women, about the good news of Jesus Christ. Her last recorded words were, I had eyes but didn't see, had ears but didn't hear, and lips but didn't speak. But after knowing of Jesus, I became an autonomous woman. When Jesus healed her, when Jesus opened her eyes, she became a real person. Not only were her eyes open, but so was her mouth. She found her voice. She didn't remain bound by the rules of society for women. She didn't stay home. Instead, she traveled to follow Jesus. She was free. She became autonomous to declare what God had done for her. It's the same experience that John Newton immortalized in Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. When you see, you've got to declare it. You've got to follow Jesus. The blind man in our reading, he received this, I mean, this unimaginable gift. And, and the great irony of all of this is that he's able to see clearly. Jesus made sure to touch him a second time to make sure that he, he saw as clearly as possible to have 20-20 vision. And yet, with that perfect vision, he does not see Jesus. He was not able to see that Jesus is more than a healer. That's why when Jesus tells him to go home, he does so presumably without so much as a whisper of a protest. Why didn't he say, let me come with you? Let me follow you. He's touched three times by Jesus. Three times. And that's not enough. That's not enough. And maybe for some of you, that, that's your own experience too. You've had encounters, miraculous encounters with Jesus in the past. And maybe you thought you saw clearly. And maybe you did for a while. But maybe you need another touch. I think this is a sign for us. If you are seeing clearly, then you follow Jesus. Maybe some people brought you here, some of you young people, Maybe you don't have faith, but they brought you. Maybe you just want to worship, receive some healing, and go home. That's not the worst thing. But I want you to reconsider. Maybe that was okay last year. But I believe God wants more than that for you and for our church. God does not simply want you to see better. He's calling you to follow him. Grace comes first, but grace also invites us to follow in discipleship. Yesterday at our leaders' meeting, people shared about what's been happening in their ministries and in their lives. You know, and I, and I was so blessed, as I am every year, to hear these stories. 
just the diverse ways in which God is working in and through the lives of the people here, the creative ways that people are working out their discipleship in following Jesus in serving others. And after our worship service today, we're going to have our annual congregational meeting. And you'll get a chance to hear some of that about how we've tried to follow Christ last year and how we might follow him more closely this year. So I hope you'll come. So I hope you'll come and hear about it. At the very least, at the very least, I want you to stay, have some lunch, and hear about what some of these upcoming events are going to be this year. And mark those dates in your phones. Put them into your calendars. Put an alarm on your phones so that when those dates approach, even if you can't participate, you'll know they're coming up so you can ask about it and you can pray about it and see if there are other ways that you can contribute. Write it down so that you can see how you might follow Christ. And here's my last word for us today. Don't just make it your goal this year to see Jesus more clearly. Follow him. Really follow him wherever he leads you, in whatever detours, to whichever some people that are brought into your presence. To serve others without agenda and genuine compassion. Don't be satisfied by going home. I know it's comfortable at home. Ask how you might follow him and invite others to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word that we got to hear, a word that we may need to hear again and again. Thank you for calling us to be your people. Thank you for saving us as your people and inviting us now to follow you. God, this year in 2020, as we will be reminded throughout the year, help us to see clearly. But more than that, in seeing, help us to follow you. For it is in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Now at this time I want